Psalm 24 is where we're going to be today. If you brought a Bible with you, get it out, turn there, turn it on, Psalm 24. The ushers are coming right now, coming forward in the center over in the chapel. If you're joining us online, you can play at home. And they're going to hand every row a $50 bill. Now, here's what I want you to do with this $50 bill. I want you to hold it, flip it over, crumple it up. You can fold the corners, read it. You can hold it up to the light and make sure it's actually real. Just check it out for a minute. How, how long has it been since you've held cash, right? We do everything electronically now. We get paid electronically, most of us, and we buy things online, and we swipe the card. We never see cash. Hold in your hands, read it, feel it, and then pass it to the person next to you. But don't just grab it and pass it right over, okay? Like actually feel it and, and get a sense of it before you pass it. And then, and then pass it to the end and the ushers will collect them again. You don't get to take it home. Give it back, sticky fingers. We're watching you. Just hold it. So we're in this series called Why Church? And we're looking at why the church does some of the things that the church does. Because honestly, from the outside looking in, if you're just alien life watching the church, we do some weird things, right? Like we come every week and multiple times during a service, we tell you to close your eyes and bow your head. And we're going to talk to somebody that we can't even see. It's weird, right? Then every few weeks you come to church and it's snack time. We give you a little shot of grape juice and the world's smallest cracker. What are you supposed to do with that? And it's like being in preschool all over again. Sometimes you come to church and we wheel out a swimming pool. And you all just watch while we hold people underwater. And nobody calls the police or anything. It's weird. But maybe the weirdest thing, the strangest thing we do, is we give our money to the local church. Every week that basket or bucket or plate or whatever goes by and you go into your wallet and you, get, and you put your money in there. Or some of us, we get out our phones and we go online or we, we actually text away our money. Why? Today I want to ask the question, why do we give? Why do we give money to the local church. And I already know what happened for some of you. Your brain just shut off because you're like, I don't want to hear about money in church. I get it. The church wants all my money. What's new? Because you've had a bad experience with money and church. And I'll admit, this is probably the hardest topic that we've looked at. But hang with me. Stick with me for a few minutes because it's a really important topic and it's one that we are all over the map on. Some of us on one end of the spectrum would say, you know, we've never given anything to the church. Some of us on the other end of the spectrum would, would say like, we're like machines. Every week we put in our gift or every other week or every month or whatever it is, some pattern, we're always giving. Probably a lot of us are in the middle and we would say, you know, I've given before I got into the habit of, I got into the routine, but then something came up and I couldn't really afford to do it anymore. So I stopped and honestly, I haven't gotten back in the habit again. Maybe a lot of us would say, you know, 
I want to give, but I'm not sure like how much to give or, or I don't really get why I should be giving. So that's what I want to talk about today. So Psalm 24 is where we're going to be. And, and I will tell you that the trap of today and really of this whole series is if you thought that it's about behavior. If we looked at it and said, this is about going to church more and serving more and praying more and giving more, really what we're doing is we're looking at our hearts and we're saying, what could God do in someone's heart that would cause them to go to church? What is God doing in someone's heart that would, would make them want to serve other people or would cause them to cry out in prayer? What could God possibly do in our hearts that causes us to give? So Psalm 24, we're just going to look at the first verse for a while. I'll tell you what's going on when this poem is written. The Psalms are a bunch of poems. So when this poem is written, there's an event that is happening. The nation of Israel, King David is the king of Israel, and he's about to receive this incredible possession. They're bringing, they've recovered and they're bringing into Jerusalem this thing called the Ark of the Covenant. And the story, I put the scripture reference in your app, so if you want to read the story that goes along with it, you can. This thing called the Ark of the Covenant, we have a picture of sort of an artist's rendering of what it might have looked like. The Ark of the Covenant is this box and it's covered in gold and it's a really important box. It's where Israel kept important things. So like the Ten Commandments, right? You've heard of the Ten Commandments. They're written on stone tablets. Those were put in the Ark of the Covenant, and they carried them. They carried the Word of God with them. But the other cool thing about the Ark of the Covenant is that God said, hey, I want to I, I meet with my people. And when I meet with my people, my presence will reside right on top of, right above the Ark of the Covenant. So the Ark of the Covenant is where the Israelites meet with God's Spirit. So this is cool. Think of it this way. Like you've probably been in a worship service before and something just really touched you and like you felt, it was like you felt God's presence. Or you've been out in nature and you've seen something amazing and you're just like, wow, God the Creator is so big. And you're amazed, but maybe even the, the hair on your arm stands up a little bit, right? So imagine being able to feel that way anytime. That's what it's like being in the presence of the Ark of the Covenant. It's this incredible thing where they could experience God's Spirit at, at any time. And so this Ark is coming into Jerusalem. It's going to be King David's. It's going to his palace. And he writes the 24th Psalm. And here's what he writes. He says, The earth is the Lord's, and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. So again, the scene, the ark is being carried into Jerusalem. It's probably the most significant material possession in the history of the world. And King David is the richest, most powerful man at the time, but it's about to get better because he's going to get the ark of the covenant. It's going to be his. And so he's, he's dancing. The Psalms tell us he's dancing. He's having this big party. It's like he's won the lottery, the big lottery, you know, where they back up the, the money truck to your house and just unload the cash in the driveway. Like, this is awesome. Here comes the ark. And somewhere in the middle of the party, 
God taps David on the shoulder and he whispers into his heart and he says, David, don't forget, that's mine. And it causes David to write Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who dwell in it. If you're taking notes today, write this down. God owns everything. The claim of Psalm 24, God's claim is, his words, not my words, his words. He says, I own everything. So think about what that would even mean for a minute, to say that God owns everything. That's a lot of stuff. Like, where would we, where would we even begin to describe what that's like? Let's try. So God owns everything. Okay, so God owns, God owns the world. Actually, zoom out bigger than that. God owns the universe. God owns the world. God owns our country. God owns the Lehigh Valley. God owns your neighborhood. God owns your street. God owns your house or your apartment. Now it's starting to get a little personal though, right? Because you're like, wait a minute. I pay the mortgage on my house. I pay the rent on my apartment. That's, that's mine. No, Psalm 24 says it's not, it's God's. God owns your cars. God owns your clothing. God even owns your big screen TV. God owns your words. God owns your relationships. So your dating relationship, your boyfriend or your girlfriend, your relationship, God owns that. Your marriage, God owns that. Your kids, God says ultimately they belong to him. God owns your body. God owns your sexuality. Oh, God owns your thoughts. God owns everything. Oh, and God owns your money too. Does that, does that bother you? Like it, it bothers me. Like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I get up every morning and I go to work and I earn that money and I budget for my family and we spend some and we invest some and we save some. That, that's my money. That's ours. Except according to Psalm 24, it's, it's not. The Ark of the Covenant coming into town. David is excited. They're carrying it in. He sees it coming. Uh, the Ark had been previously been in another town. And that, that town had experienced tremendous fortune and blessing while they had the Ark. And so he's excited because he's going to have the ark, this, this amazing artifact, and he's going to have God's presence. But it's also sort of a sign of God's blessing, almost like, it's almost like good luck, like God's lucky rabbit foot kind of thing. David's going to have all that. It's coming to his house. It's coming to his palace. But then God says, wait a minute, wait a minute. Don't forget, that's mine. It's a hard thing to hear that God owns everything. Because honestly, it feels like the schoolyard bully just showed up to ruin all our fun and take away our lunch money. 
But if we will get this, if you and I can get this in our head and in our heart, you will find a tremendous amount of freedom. Because there's another side to this coin. God owns everything. But flip it over. See, if God owns everything, then you and I, we don't have to worry about anything. If God owns everything, then you and I don't have to worry about anything. So maybe you've purchased a home, right? You, maybe you lived in an apartment and then you've purchased a home. home. Home ownership is good, it's fun. Until something breaks, right? And it used to be when you lived in the apartment and you walk in and you're standing in like six inches of water and spraying everywhere, what do you do? You just call the super, right? Hey, I think we have a problem. Now guess who you call? You. It's your house. It's your problem. You have to fix it. But if God is the owner, if God owns everything, then we don't have to worry about anything. I really want us to get this in our hearts because, again, this, this idea that God owns everything can be so freeing to us. So we'll come back to the question of why do we give? We'll get back to that. I want to I zoom out. I want us to go up for a second. Let, let me just ask you a question. What's keeping you up at night? What's, what's that thing that's keeping you up? Even, it's even there right now, right? You, you want to pay attention, but there's this thing that's eating at you, and you know it's on the other side of those doors, and you can't, you can't get it. What is it? You can't get rid of it. What's that thing? Is it your marriage? Is it a friendship? Is it a dating relationship? And you're going, man, I don't know if it's going to make it. What is it? Are you lonely? Is it that you're out of work and you don't know how you're going to pay the bills? Is it your health? Your body's failing you? Is it a loved one, the health of someone that you love, and you're not sure how much longer they're going to be around? Is it your kids? They've wandered off the path that you thought you sent them down. Or maybe it's that you want kids. You so badly want to start a family, but that isn't happening for whatever reason. Maybe it's a big project you have at work or a big test that you have at school. What is it? Whatever it is, what if we prayed Psalm 24 over it? How would that change things? If you, if you prayed Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it over your problem. God, my dating relationship my marriage is wrecked. I don't know what to do. But God, you own everything. God, my health is failing. My body hurts every day. God, you own everything. God, I don't know how I'm going to pay the bills. Keep walking by that bill that's sitting on the counter. I don't know what to do with it. It's staring right at me. 
God, you own everything. God, my, my kids, it's like they've lost their minds. It's like they don't remember anything I ever tried to teach them. But God, you own everything. How would it change your heart? How would it change your perspective if you prayed that over your finances? God, you own everything. How might that change how you viewed money, how you viewed a topic like giving? Let me talk to you about the heart that leads to giving. Let me talk to you for a minute about how this would lead our finances in a different direction if we could pray this way. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I'm not going to make a biblical case today for how much you should give or even that you should give. You can uh, look in your app. I peppered that thing with scripture. You can always just send us an email too. If you have questions, that's what we're here for. And we'd love to be able to answer them. I want to talk about the heart of why we give. And so 2 Corinthians is just a letter that the Apostle Paul writes to a church in the city of Corinth. And in chapter 9, starting in verse 6, he talks about the heart of why we give. Here's what he says. He writes, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give not reluctantly. So highlight that in your Bible. He's going to give us a few different ways to give. And the first one he says is you, you can give or, or don't give reluctantly. That's, that's one way. He goes, don't give that way. He says, or under compulsion. Circle it. A second way, don't give under compulsion. There's another way. He says, for God loves a cheerful giver. He says, this is the right way to give. Cheerful. To be a cheerful giver. That's the kind of giver God wants his people to be. He says, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that, circle that, you know something important is coming, so that in all things and at all times and having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Okay. Remember the 50 bucks, $50 bill you had? You held it in your hands, you flipped it over, you looked at it, you, you read it. How many of you can't wait to get home and wash your hands? Because money's kind of gross, right? And eventually, after you looked at it for a few minutes, eventually you passed it to the person next to you. When you passed it to them, was it hard to do? Were you a reluctant giver? Did you think, no, 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 this is mine. I'm, I'm going to keep it. It's okay. Maybe you had a brief moment where you thought that. You're like, I wonder how much security they have around here. Where are the cameras? <laughs> They're everywhere, for the record. <laughs> or maybe you thought to yourself, you know, I could use this $50. The person that's sitting next to me, they look like they're fine but I need groceries. I could fill my gas tank with this. But ultimately, you passed it on, right? 
I mean, we're going to check your pockets before you leave today. So ultimately, you passed it on, right? You passed it to the next person. And when you did, it didn't hurt that bad, right? Why? Because it wasn't your 50 bucks to begin with. It was your job to pass it along, not to, fold, not to put it in your pocket, not to throw it away, not to tear it up. It was yours, and the purpose was to pass it on. What if What if this is how God wants us to give? See, I know that you weren't reluctant givers. I know you were cheerful givers. I heard you. You were giggling about it. You were having fun with it. What if this is how God wants us to give? What if this is exactly how he wants us to think about our money, to be generous? See, if it's not ours to begin with, then it's easy to pass it along. It's easy to give it to someone else. Right? It would be a whole different story if you walked in today and I was like, hey, so what we're going to do during the sermon time today, get out your wallet and give somebody next to you your 50 bucks. You'd be like, no, that's... That's mine, and I'm not coming back here again. Because it's your money. But, but what if we viewed all of it, all that God has entrusted us with, what if, we, what if we viewed all of it as belonging to Him? I mean, isn't there a part of that that in one sense is terrifying to go like, I don't, I don't want to give up that kind of control. You mean all my bank accounts, I just give the control of that to, I don't, I don't know about that. But isn't there also a part of it that you go, that's how I want to live? Like something about that sits well with my soul. That's, that sounds right. I want to do that. I want to experience that kind of freedom. Not to be consumed by my money, but to have freedom in how I think about my money and handle my money. So let's go back to the question. Why give? Write a few things in your notes if you want. The first reason that we give is we give because we trust God and we love people. See, when you pass the $50, you showed some level of trust in God because you could have used that for yourself. And maybe even for a minute you thought to yourself, is there a way I could put it in my pocket? Is there, is there a way somehow that this could be mine? But you didn't. You, just, you didn't hold on to it. You didn't keep it. You, you passed it. And in doing so, you show some level of trust in God. See, when we give to the local church, we're giving to God and we're saying, I trust you. And I'm not going to live in fear I'm not going to hoard every penny and I don't need to keep it all for myself. I trust God that you're going to provide for me. This is hard. And in the culture that we live in, it's almost foolish. Because the voices that we hear in our culture, there are two voices. One is you got to have the latest and greatest. You got to have the best. You are the car that you drive. You are the neighborhood you live in. And you are where you can send your kids to school. You got to have the best. You got to keep up with the Joneses, right? 
which I never understood because I was like, I just want to be the Joneses because it sounds like they have a lot of stuff. But you've got to have the best. The other voice that we hear, and it's getting louder all the time, is you've got to save. You don't have enough in your retirement. You've got to cram more in there. You're going to get to the end of your, your life and you're going to run out of money. And then what are you going to do? So you better save. You better save, 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 save. And then God comes in. And he has this crazy idea and he says, actually, above all of that, would you just trust me? Would you just trust me and have an open hand and be generous with what I've given you and believe that I'm going to take care of you? Because I own everything and I can't, I'm never going to run out. Giving also shows that we love other people. So in 2 Corinthians, Paul is writing to this church in Corinth, and he's writing to them about some Jewish believers in Jerusalem. And these believers are uh, in the middle of a famine. A drought has created a famine. And then on top of having no food, the Roman government has put into place these incredibly oppressive taxes. And so they have nothing. They are overwhelmed with poverty. And the church in Corinth is at least moderately affluent. And so Paul is writing saying, hey, would you give to support to help these people that have nothing? See, when we, when we give, we're saying, you matter to me more than this $50 or $5 or whatever it is that we give. The value is not, uh, the significance is not in the value. For some people giving $5 would be a burden. For others, 50 would be a burden. But for some, 500 or 5,000 or 50,000 would, would not be that much money. So it's not about how much in the, in the dollar amount. But when we give, we tell people we care more about you than we care about money. When we give to the local church, we're saying the same thing because the church takes care of people spiritually, but also physically and emotionally. So we're saying, I can go without something so that you can be cared for. I mean, we need to be having these conversations as families, and we need to be thinking about these things. Are we willing to sacrifice so that other people are not without? Are we willing to give something up? What are we willing to give up so that other people are cared for? We give because we trust God because we love people. Another reason we give is we give because we want God's kingdom to grow. It's hard to see it sometimes, but God's kingdom is at work in people's hearts, and it's growing. It is happening. And we might not see the immediate impact of what we give, but your generosity is expanding, is advancing God's kingdom. Check this out. If you didn't catch it, Paul said, God gives to us so that we will abound in every good work. Meaning what God gives us, everything he gives us, including our money, the purpose is to accomplish the work of his kingdom. It's to see God's love reign in our hearts, to see his love on display. And he uses people for that. He uses you and me, your giving and my giving to accomplish that. It's incredible. 
So where are we going to land on this? I'm not going to ask you to give more money. You can relax, okay? Because it's not about behavior. It's about heart. It's always been about heart. So last thing I'll say is this. We are, by our nature, scared. We're scared that if we give, we won't have enough. We're scared that if we give, it won't be used the way we think it should be used. We're scared that if we give, we're going to miss out on some other opportunity. Did you know that God actually speaks right to this fear? He speaks right to it. Here's what he says in the book of Malachi in the Old Testament. Here's God's response to us when we give. He says, your job, your role is to give. Here's what I'll do. He says, see, if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it all up. Amazing. We have this God who says, if you will just trust me with the little bit that you have, I want to unload blessing on you. I want to bring so much goodness into your life, you don't even have enough shelves to put it on. And then he says, and if you don't believe me, try me. He says, if you don't believe me, this is the only place in the Bible where God says, test me. He says, if you don't believe me, that I will provide for you, that I will bless you, he says, try me. I'm going to prove myself. Maybe today, maybe today your next step is just to talk to God and say, God, I want to give, but I'm scared. Maybe your next step is to say, God, show me the areas of my life where I've been stingy. Because maybe you go, I got this giving thing down. Check, I've arrived. Maybe there's ways that God wants to grow you. Maybe there's other parts of your life where you haven't been generous. Maybe today, your next step is not to give. It's to receive God's love. It's to receive the free gift of Jesus Christ and his love and the forgiveness of our sins. And you just receive that. Say, today, God, I want to receive that. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the whole world and all who dwell in it. Are you generous with what you've been given? It doesn't belong to you anyway. Pray with me. God, thank you that you are generous, that you are always giving. Thank you that you gave us your very own son to show us how much you love us. God, what else wouldn't you give? God, would you stir in our hearts and cause us to be generous, cause us to be people who give? God, would you teach us to give, not just inside the church, but to give of ourselves outside the church, to be generous with people to show them that we love them, we care about them. God, you gave us everything, your very own son. And when we give, we are like you. And we show, we display your love to the world. God, I thank you for today.
I thank you for your son, Jesus, who gave his life so that we could have life. It's in his name we pray. Amen.